If you have a Bible, we're going to open up to Revelation tonight. We are going to do, um, uh, what, I've, what I've done is work up an outline of the book of Revelation. We may uh, get through um, all of this or some of this. We'll just let it be in God's hands. Uh, I feel like it'll be a great use of our time. We've been kind of building up to all this last couple of weeks, uh, talking a lot about uh, God's plan for the world. We spent uh, the first week, a few weeks ago, talking about how Jesus said there's going to be uh, uh, an end of this age, end of this age, and the beginning of a, uh, of a new age or a new era, which, which is really going to be the last phase for this planet, that Jesus came to redeem sinners, but he also came to continue God's plan to restore the earth, reclaim the earth, restore the earth to where it was always meant to be, what it was in the very beginning. But the, the fall messed all that up. Uh, and we know the Bible says God does not just so love the sinners of the world. God so loves the world. God has a plan for this world. He wants to restore this world. He wants to reclaim this earth for his self, for himself, for his his glory. Uh, when Adam sinned, the earth fell with him, and the earth fell out of his hands into the enemy's hands. And God sent Jesus not just to save sinners, but to save this world. Now we know that it has uh, God's plan for this world is tethered to and is very closely aligned to his activity with the nation of Israel. He started the nation of Israel to reveal himself to the world. From Israel came Jesus. From Jesus came the church. And the church age has took the gospel from Israel to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. And the Gentiles have been grafted into the family of God uh, because of the church age. And in this age, the Gentiles have been the primary focus of God's activity and, and of, God, of, of the gospel. And over the last 1900 years, almost 2000 years, that has been God's agenda to reach the world, to save the Gentiles. The apostle Paul said, we turn to the Gentiles knowing that this is a new era. This is a new age. Well, this age is coming to an end. The Bible talks about this age ending and God restarting the story of Israel, uh, that the nation of Israel has a, has a, a, part, has a piece uh, or a, a role to play on the world stage yet again. It was the center uh, focal point, the vehicle that God used uh, for the very beginning stages of this world up until the church began. And then at that point, Israel was dispersed. The nation was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The religion ended. Uh, but in 1948, the nation of Israel came back to life according to God's prophetic word. That was not the beginning of this last act, this last era, this last age, but it was the sign that that last age is about to begin, that the church age would end soon in this last focal point uh, 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 on the earth of God's restoration, reclamation, this last little bit of time was about to begin. The, the Apostle Paul writes about that in Romans 11, that the church age would end and God would restart Israel's story. The fig tree would bloom again. You can read about Ezekiel 37, where it says the dry bones come back to life. Ezekiel 38 says that Israel uh, will defeat her enemies. The, the enemies that we read about on Sunday night from Genesis 16 that have been there uh, when, when Abraham went against God's will and had a child with, uh, with, with Sarah's, uh, servant girl, uh, and that gave birth to a nation, nations that were never meant to be a part of the story and have been rivaling Israel ever since. Ezekiel 37 said, 38 says that that, that battle's going to end one day. That battle's going to end, and then Israel will be repositioned with all of her land, with all of her uh, platform uh, firmly hers, and God will begin to use Israel once again to restore and reclaim the earth. Now, we are living in this time of transition. We see that 
over the last 40, 50 years, Israel has been in a ruthless battle with uh, the surrounding Arab nations, right? People that God loves, people that God can save, uh, but nonetheless, people that are being used by the devil to antagonize God's nation and antagonize God's plan and, 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 and hold on to this world. Uh, Israel is trying at this very moment to get back its property to get back its land and God has a plan. God has a, 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 a plan for Israel and one day, maybe soon, uh, they will defeat their enemies and they will take back control of what was promised to them back in Genesis chapter 12. Um, so we are kind of living on this, we are living on this, this seesaw where things are teetering back and forth, back and forth. Uh, we don't know when uh, the, the, this last act will officially begin, but we do know uh, that it will involve the church being raptured, uh, the church being taken to heaven, and Israel being repositioned at the center of the world, uh, and to which all the, all the eyes of the world will begin to turn on her, and uh, all the swords of the world will be drawn against her. Um, and we're going to talk more about that tonight. So Revelation is really kind of this, this, uh, this beautiful picture of what things are going to look like as the last days uh, begin in, in, in this last seven-year period or so of this world. Now, the, words, the number seven is significant. Daniel talks about how God operated on the basis of sevens. You know that the, 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 the week has seven days in it. Uh, the Sabbath was on the seventh day. Israel was supposed to have a Sabbath year every 70 years. There was all these things that they were supposed to do. Uh, and, and God told Daniel that Israel had one more, had one more seven-year period at the end of this age where they would be on, you know, on the center stage vying for uh, uh, the control of, of God's, uh, what God promised them. And, and during that seven-year period, there would be wars upon wars upon wars uh, from the world versus Israel. And, and I know that's a lot, lot to process, uh, but the Bible is pretty clear uh, on that seven-year period. And Revelation talks about that seven-year period uh, w- through, through uh, given specific numbers of days, talks about the, the length of, uh, of, of that seven-year period, 1,200 days being three and a half years. And we, we see those numbers throughout Revelation, which gives us confidence that uh, this is what Revelation is pertaining to. I want to read uh, to begin tonight, Revelations chapter 1, verses 17 through 20, this is what we would call the thesis of the book. The thesis statement is the short explanation. Uh, if you're writing a paper, it's, it's important that you, or you're writing a report, uh, or you're giving a speech, um, it's important that you give the thesis in the first few sentences or the first few paragraphs. If you listen to me on any given Sunday, you'll probably hear me talk about a, a specific topic early on in the message, because that's what is going to ultimately be the center, center point of our conversation. When you're presenting something, speaking about something, preaching about something, writing about something, you give your thesis early on and you kind of let the rest of the story be built up through the evidence and the, the, the details that you give. John in writing Revelation is no different. He's talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to him. And verses 17 through 20, Jesus shares with him the reason he's given him this revelation title of the book. He's given him this vision of the world and the events to come. When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So this is Jesus saying, the world has been in ruin and has been under the oppression of hell and the grave, and I am here to put an end to all of that. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So this is God, Jesus giving John the, the uh, agenda. I want you to write down what you've seen, what the things that are taking place right now, and the things that will take place in the future. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So what does Jesus mean when he says, write the things you have seen? Well, what John saw was this vision of Jesus on the Isle of Patmos. John's a prisoner of Rome on the Isle of Patmos where, there are, where they are putting people in exile. Uh, they tried to bull John in water. They put him, or not in water, they put him in a pot of burning oil. It burned his skin off, but it did not kill him. Um, so they said, well, we're just going to put you on an island and let you rot there for the rest of your life. So John on Patmos is a prisoner and he gets this revelation. He sees Jesus. Jesus coming to him, not as he saw him on earth. He sees a Jesus who, is, uh, who has eyes of fire, who looks as if he is fierce and ready to take on the enemy once and for all. So John writes to us about what he has seen, and that's, that, that's Revelation chapter 1. He sees that Jesus has come to him and that Jesus is presenting the plan for uh, the future of the world to him. And that's what Revelation 1 does. It reviews who Jesus is, what Jesus did, that he came to die for the sins of the world, and it lets us know that Jesus is has, has the authority to speak on this because he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the alpha, he's the omega, he's the first, he's the last, he's the one that defeated the grave, he's the one that, de that, that forgives sins. So Jesus is the one that you want to turn to when you're looking for answers because he's the only one that has the authority to speak on the things that matter most to you because Jesus did what no one else can do. He defeated your biggest enemies. He forgave your sins and he overcame the grave. Someone can pay off your debt. They can fix your problems in this world. But if they can't forgive your sins and, and overcome the grave, they have nothing to offer you eternally. That's why Jesus is the one that you should put your hope in because he can do for you what nobody else in this world can. Revelations 2 and 3 they are the things which are. So John recaps the things that have happened. That's Jesus came to save the sinners of the world, to die for the sins of the world, to build the church. That's Revelation 1. Revelations 2 and 3 is that second part of the story, the things which are. Revelations 2 and 3 captures the church age from beginning to end. Many believe that the, the seven churches of Revelation represent the different church period throughout history. So Ephesus represents the beginning of the church, whereas Laodicea represents the end of the church age, which it's very appropriate because we know that Laodicea is the lukewarm church. And is there a better way to describe today's church than lukewarm? I, I don't think so. Neither hot nor cold. Lukewarm. Uh, enough of the world to look like the world, but enough of Jesus to make it clear that we are betraying our true Lord and that we are not living as we should. So the lukewarm church absolutely describes the church in these last days. It, it, Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, you think you're rich. You think you have nice clothes. You think you have the things that you need. But I say to you, you are naked. You are blind. You are poor. You are wretched. And what you need is found in me. Is there a better description for this world? 
There has never been a society more richer, more prosperous, more uh, with all the wealth uh, and health available to them. We can go to any doctor we want. We can go to any specialist we want. We can go on any vacation we want. We can do anything we want to do in today's world. Yet we forsake the one that we need the most. The lukewarm church absolutely captures the church in these last days. Revelations 4 and 5 is uh, the scene in heaven as the church is raptured. If you look at Revelations 4, verse number 1 makes it very clear that John is a surrogate for the church. He is a representation of the church. In Revelations 4, 1 says he saw the doors opened, he heard the trumpet sound, and he heard this saying, come up here and I will show you what will take place after this. So what does it mean? This is what's going to happen after the church age. After the church is raptured, John, I'm going to show you what's Next. So up until Revelation 3, he's talking about in the present tense. Revelations 4 forward, he talks about the future tense, which is we are part, we could be living out that very future, but again, it's still in the future for us as well. So Revelations 4 and 5, heaven receives the church. But remember from last week, the scene in heaven isn't all glorious because in Revelations 5, uh, they begin to be mournful and upset that the earth is still in ruin. So God raptures the church. There's a big celebration. The people are receiving their crowns. They put their, they put their crowns right back at the feet of Jesus. So we're rewarded when we get to heaven. But then we realize the rewards are not for us. They're for the glory of God. So we take the crowns off our heads. We lay them at his feet. And then Revelations 5, it says that they begin to look down at the earth and say, what's gonna happen to the earth? Is it left in ruin? Is it left to burn? Is it left to be destroyed? And uh, there begins to be this refrain in heaven. Who is worthy to open the, seal, to, to open the scroll and, and redeem the earth, reclaim the earth? The title deed for the earth is sealed by all of these things that are holding the earth down. and The sin, the shame, the, the, all the curses of this world. And the, the elders begin to sing, worthy is the Lamb. Down in Revelations 5, verse number 12, what was the song? Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom, strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy, verse number 13 says, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne to the lamb forever and ever. Amen. So there's this scene in heaven and they begin to look down on the earth. Who can save the world? Who can save the earth? The Lamb of God absolutely can. And then we turn to Revelation 6. Now, it's here where I want you to put a bookmark and I want us to turn back to 2 Thessalonians, a book that we don't look at enough. 2 Thessalonians, you say that too fast, you'll get your seconds and your thes- you'll get the, the T's uh, a little bit tongue-tied. 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, uh, this chapter correlates with something that Revelation 6 talks about. So here's what Revelation 6 is about. God has vowed to reclaim the earth. He has put the enemy on notice. I am gonna take back what is always, has always been mine, what has been for my glory. I'm gonna take back the earth from your grubby hands. He puts the enemy on, enemy on notice that he, the lamb is worthy to open the scroll and loose the seals and reclaim the earth and bring an end to the enemy's kingdom once and for all. 
But the enemy is expecting that. And he has a defense plan. And 2 Thessalonians talks about the enemy, Satan, what he is going to do to try to hold on tight to this world. Let's read this chapter, if you will. We're going to read through verses 12. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together at him, I, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ has come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So the falling away talks about how at the end of the age, the end of the church age, um, there will be a falling away, as in the church will begin to, the church itself will not look as, as wholesome as it used to. It will not look as, as de- devoted as it used to, as it should. And that's what the lukewarm church is. There's a falling away. And, and I want to say this, that shouldn't make us, that shouldn't discourage us. That shouldn't make us not be as devoted as we can be and as faithful as we can be. It should just make us aware that in this world, as we live out these last days, are people going to be as faithful? No. Are people going to be as devout? No. Are people going to be as excited as they should be? No. But we should be just as devout and just as motivated because we know we are living out history. So we shouldn't sit back. The devil wants us to sit back and say, well, if they don't care, I'm not going to care. That is not the approach that people of God should take. Because the Bible says we should be a people that are expecting the return of Jesus and being found doing his will when he returns. So even though we see all this happening, and even though the Bible says it's going to happen, we don't allow the devil to make us like these that the Bible is talking about, right? You know, it's very easy. People say, well, if they don't, if they don't care, I don't care. Well, doesn't that just mean that we're falling away just like them? So we know better. So we're even more devout and even more focused and even more determined that we're not going to be felt, we're not going to fall after the way of this world. So it says the fall away will take place. Uh, and it says the man of sin is revealed. Now the man of sin, that, that is what the Bible talks, the Bible refers to as the antichrist. The Antichrist, as in someone's going to rise up on this planet who is going to be, uh, like the word says, an Antichrist, as in Christ is the one who brought people to God. There's going to be someone rise up in these last days that is going to submit the world's heart against God. Does that make sense? So just as Jesus brings people to God, there's going to be somebody that's going to rise up and say, you don't need God. You don't need to turn to Jesus or to the church. And as the church is raptured, by all means, it makes it even more clear uh, that, that, hey, those people, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of lies told, a lot of delusions. And we'll read about that. We'll read that word delusion in a minute because apparently God's going to make people so confused about what happened that they're not even going to be able to get to the bottom of it. But this man of sin is going to use these events to say, We do not need God. We are a people on our own. We live for ourselves, for our own glory, for our own kingdom. We don't need the Lord. So this man of sin, now the Bible talks about there being many antichrists, many antichrists throughout history. Every world leader, everybody that ever stands on a stage and, and sells you a bill of goods about this kingdom, uh, the, wor- the kingdoms of this world, the riches of this world, and, they, they, and when they don't point you to God, they are an antichrist because they're trying to get you to double down on this world, this world that is passing away. Anybody of any influence that does not point you to Jesus and tell you that there is a God above them, that is an antichrist. Eventually, there's going to be an antichrist once and for all that's going to do this in such a way way that people that the whole world is deceived that's what Paul's talking about 
The man of sins revealed the son of perdition. That just means waste. Trying to, show, trying to make people waste their lives. And there's no greater waste of this life than to live as if there's nothing else after this life. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship. So again, his agenda is to lead people away from God. But then it says, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, again, the Antichrist's agenda, because he is the devil personified, his agenda is going to be to lead people into worship of himself. So his bill, he sells a bill of goods. Oh, you don't need God. You have yourself. You have this world. But eventually he becomes the object of worship. Right? And it's just like this. There's a lot of people who are atheists and claim they don't serve God, but yet they worship politicians. They worship celebrities, right? Because we still, we have a heart that wants to worship somebody. We have a heart that wants to follow somebody. So this Antichrist is going to vacuum all those people and the, the world as it's deceived and as it's delusional. The Antichrist is going to lead people into ultimately worshiping him. But a, a, an important note there, it, it says he sits in the temple of God. Well, there is no temple of God on this planet right now. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., so that tells us there's going to be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. All that's important from what we talked about a few weeks ago. Israel's going to get their land back. They're going to build their temple because on, uh, alongside this that we're reading about is the restoration of Israel. And as Israel gets its property back and gets its nation back together, Israel's going to th- start realizing that, hey, we, we, we have turned away from God. So as, as God raptures the church, and as the enemy is going to pull the wool over the rest of the world's eyes once and for all, Israel is going to start realizing, hey, we've missed something. And they're going to want to rebuild their temple. They're going to want to reinstitute sacrifice. They're going to want to reinstitute their Jewish religion as it was years ago. And as they do that, the Jewish people are going to realize that their Messiah isn't yet to come. He already came. So while the world is becoming deceived by this Antichrist, the nation of Israel is going to wake up and realize we missed our Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. He was and is our Savior. Somewhere along the line, though, they rebuild the temple. And the Antichrist realize, it points to the people of Israel, the, people, the Jewish people, as the problem in the world. As they begin to fight their enemies and overcome their enemies, uh, he's going to focal, focal, uh, focus on Israel and bring peace to the Middle East and put a leash on Israel because he's going to tell the rest of the world that Israel's always been the problem. They've always been a thorn in the world's side. And their God has been the thorn in the world's side especially. So we've got to put a muzzle on these Jews. We've got to put a leash around these Jews. And somehow, someway, he's going to find himself in their temple and he's going to reveal himself as, or, or present himself as the God of this world. Of course, that's who the devil is. So there's a lot of things going on here at once, but John, Paul just gives us a snapshot. The Antichrist is gonna reveal himself uh, who, for who he really is and sit on the temple of God. Verse five says, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining th- that he may be revealed in his own time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, what he refers to there is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God is the reason why this world has not fell fully under the devil's control and the devil's influence. And he is clearly very influential and very much in control in this world. But the Holy Spirit is at work. The church is growing because God has not given up yet or God has not closed that chapter yet. 
But when the Holy Spirit is taken away, when the church is raptured, then it says in verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the work of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the truth of the, uh, they did not receive the truth, the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send a strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if you want to know, what's it going to be like when the rapture takes place? What is the world going to think? Well, the Bible says God is going to send strong delusion on the world to where they somehow, someway, and we can't imagine it because how, in the, how, could you, how could you not be aware of what happened? When the rapture takes place, there is going to be a blanket of delusion sweep over this planet. And the Antichrist is going to fill that vacuum, fill that void, and lead the people in all-out rebellion against God. So Revelation 6 talks about the, the, the beginning of this Antichrist reign. You've probably heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, one of those horsemen is clearly the Antichrist. The other horsemen uh, are bringing plagues on the earth. So as the world becomes more and more uh, in, in dire straits, the Antichrist is going to sell the world on a bill, of, a bill of goods that, hey, unless you follow me, unless you trust in me, you're not going to have any food, not going to have any uh, medicine, not going to have any support, not going to have any wealth, not going to have anything that you need. As the world begins to fall apart and unravel because the devil just wants to destroy the world ultimately, he doesn't want God to save it. He doesn't want God to restore this planet. He wants to ruin it from the very beginning to the very end. So the Antichrist is going to use the world's condition to bring people, to ultimately seal people's fate outside of God's help and outside of hope. Meanwhile, and we'll wrap up around this point, Revelation 7 brings Israel into the story. So again, we've been talking all over the place here, but Revelation, the church is raptured. Heaven's looking down, thinking what's going on with the world. Then we see that, that Satan is, whole, is tightening his grip on the world. The second Thessalonians told us what's going on. The devil's going to, to use uh, this post-raptured world to, uh, to, to, to bring people under full bondage. And whole, ultimately, uh, he's wanting to drag billions and millions of people to hell uh, and destroy what God meant for good on this planet. But the nation of Israel is waking back up at this same time. So the church is raptured, the world is lost, the devil is fully in control. Yet there's a remnant in the Middle East. The nation of Israel has woke back up. The nation of Israel that the Antichrist pointed to as the problem that gained him all the attention and all the favor and all the support of the rest of the nations as he begins to unite the nations in rebellion against God and rebellion against God's plan. Particularly, he points to Israel as the problem and he puts a leash on Israel. But Revelation 7 says that Israel is going to be the vessel, the vehicle that God uses to combat this evil. So Revelation 7 identifies 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe, 12,000 that their lineage goes back to one of the 12 sons of Judah, 12,000 times, uh, times 12, so 144,000. All of these are descendants of the 12 sons of Israel. So here's what we need to know here. 
during the tribulation period, people say, can you get saved? Are people gonna get saved? What did, what did, what, what did Thessalonians tell us? The people that are left behind are under strong delusion. They had their chance to get saved and they did not and they will not. But there will be 144,000 Jewish people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and become evangelists on the world stage, promoting that Jesus is Lord. And that, and the Bible teaches in Revelation that Jewish people will be saved during this tribulation period. Jewish people, as they wake up to what they were blind to, what they were clueless about, during the tribulation period, as God focuses back on Israel, Jewish people will be saved. Jewish people can be saved. But I do think it's, I think it's, I think it's safe to say that Gentiles, our chance to get saved ends with the rapture. There is no, well, what if I don't take the mark? And what if I'm a martyr? The only martyrs that Revelation talks about are Jewish people. The only martyrs and the only saved people that Revelation talks about are Jewish people. So if you have relatives, presumably they're Gentiles. I mean, I don't know anybody's heritage. And they say something like, well, maybe there'll be a chance. There will be no chance. The church age ends Salvation as we know it ends. And the people that are left behind will be under strong delusion. Israel will be the role, will be the vehicle that God begins to use to reclaim this earth. Revelations 11 identifies two witnesses that God uses to expose the Antichrist. Revelations 11, if you go over there, you can see that he gives these witnesses. It says in Revelations 11, verse 3, that these witnesses will prophesy for 1,260 days. That is the span of three and a half years. That's an important number. So halfway through the tribulation period, these two witnesses come on the scene. Some believe these are heavenly witnesses. Some believe these are Enoch and Elijah or potentially Moses and Elijah. The reason why people speculate that it's these two, these Old Testament heroes, these Old Testament saints is Moses and Elijah would represent the prophets and the law. Others believe that it's Enoch and Elijah because Enoch and Elijah are the only two people in the Bible that did not die. Enoch was raptured in Genesis 5. Elijah was raptured in, first, in, in 2 Kings chapter 1. So they come back to earth because they never died and then they die as witnesses. So that's something to think about. The names are, the, the witnesses aren't named, so we don't know. We can only speculate. But these witnesses uh, expose the Antichrist and officially mark Israel's uh, refusal to uh, agree to the terms that they were put on. The leash they were put on, the peace treaty that Israel's going to behave and Israel's not going you know, to go against the rest of the world, that peace treaty ends. They say, you know what? We're not doing this. We, we know what's going on. The Antichrist is leading the world to hell and God has called on us to fight against this beast. So I want you to look real quickly with me to, to, to wrap up tonight. Revelations 12. Revelations 12 talk, is, a, is really a symbolic chapter. It's a symbolic chapter that talks about how from the beginning, Satan has 
targeted Israel. Go back and read Genesis. Satan was always targeting Israel. Israel, who was always trying to destroy Israel because he knew Israel was the one that God was going to save the world through. He tried to destroy Joseph. He tried to destroy Moses, the babies that were put in the river. He tried to, uh, there was all these attempts throughout history uh, to, to destroy Israel from the Old Testament wars to when Jesus was born and all the boys were aborted, uh, baby boys were aborted. Satan has always been attacking Israel because he knows that from Israel comes salvation. And it says in Revelation 12 that Satan sees what God is doing. He launches an attack on heaven. We're going to get to see this one day. We're going to be in heaven after the rapture. The devil is going to launch an attack on heaven. And God is going to throw him to the earth. And when God throws him to the earth, as this battle in heaven, which was pointless, but this battle in heaven ends, Satan is thrown to the earth. And this is going to unleash the hell upon the earth that is going to bring justice to all the sin in the world, that's going to bring judgment to all the sinners in the world, that's going to destroy this world. If you read Revelation, one chapter it says a third of the world has been destroyed, the next chapter a quarter of the world is destroyed. The world population is gonna go from billions down to hundreds of thousands, down to thousands, down to hundreds. The world is going to be just completely raised from top to bottom. Satan launches attack on heaven and hell on earth is unleashed. And the Antichrist uses all of this to get everybody in the palm of his hand. And as he gets everybody's allegiance, as he unites all the nations against God and he identifies Israel as the problem, this is gonna set the stage for the battle in all battles when the beast and the lamb face off in the Valley of Armageddon. Now we'll get to that next week. But we've set the stage tonight and we've just got a taste. And this is so, this, all of these points could be messages in and of themselves. And maybe we'll do that one day. But I know that we're eager to learn all as much as, much as we can, as quick as we can. So hopefully tonight you've got an idea of what's going on. That God is gonna restore this earth. God is gonna reclaim this earth. But the devil is not gonna go down quietly. And as the devil begins to bring delusion and bring people under his bondage and as he begins to uh, rub his hands together as if he has the world to destroy, Israel is gonna wake up and God is gonna use Israel once and for all as he planned in the beginning to bring total restoration to this earth. He's gonna use the smallest of nations, the most unlikely of nations, the most hated of nations to bring an end to the devil and his kingdoms once and for all. Interesting stuff. The good news for us is that we'll get to see all this from heaven. But we should know about this on earth because we need to tell our brothers and sisters who are lost that God has a plan for this world. And the only way we get on the winning side, on the saving side of things is by putting faith in Jesus and living for him today because there won't always be the opportunity. God has a plan to save this world, to restore this world, but it's gonna be done on his terms and it's gonna be done his way. And we need to make sure we know what he's gonna do and make sure that we're prepared to be on the right side when he does it. So hope this has been a blessing to your church. We'll continue it next week. A great way to talk about Thanksgiving uh, by being thankful for the work that God's gonna do to save this world once and for all.